Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's hit the grind. Welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Menachem Pritzker. I'm the VP Growth at Calabria. I'm Sharon Weiss Greenberg. I am the Senior Content and Community Manager also at Calabria. And just uh, some quick housekeeping before uh, we introduce our guests who are really excited about today. If you're listening to the show, then you know that we at Calabria are about to release an app that we're really excited about. Uh, but right now we need beta testers and we need design partners. So if your organization uses Outlook as your primary email client, we're going to get to Gmail probably towards the end of next year. But right now, if you're on Outlook and if you're in sales, and I hope you're in sales because you're listening to an amazing sales podcast, uh, we would love to have you as a design partner so you can give us all the feedback that we need to turn our product amazing. Um, and that brings us to our guest. Uh, we're joined today by Jeremy Warblowski. Uh, VP of Global Sales for Brew, 20 plus years in sales uh, over his career. He's got four kids and two grandkids. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so Jeremy, let's uh, let's just start out with, uh, you know, your, your VP of Global Sales at Brew. Uh, what does Brew do and what do you do for Brew? Okay, great. That's a really good question. Um, what does Brew do? We've been working on that quite uh, you know, diligently over the last few months since I joined because we have a really great marketing strategy platform. But what does marketing strategy platform mean? You know, when I reach out to clients, um, you know, I need something more than marketing strategy platform. So we actually just hired a VP of marketing who's working on that as well. Um, but what we do basically is we crawl the internet and we collect all organic marketing activity. So, at, you know, events, webinars, social, um, PR, we collect it for you and all of your competitors and we bring it into one dashboard landscape where you can see all of those activities, what your share of voice is by topic, by region, by audience, by vertical, and recommendations on how to specifically increase your share of voice in those areas as well. What do I do? I'm the VP of Global Sales. I am running a sales team and SDR team, and we are reaching out to clients to both inbound and outbound um, to grow the company. The company is between a seeding fund and a Series A fund, and now it's time for real growth. So hmm. I was hired three months ago to take the company forward. So how, how big are those teams that you're, that you're managing? So right now I am managing four salespeople. Um, we are actually just going to start with an outsourced SDR company because mm -hmm. we do not, you know, we want to bring it in house, but we aren't ready for that yet. Um, so we'll be managing an outsourced company who will be doing the SDR and four in and four in-house salespeople. And four in-house salespeople. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm curious about your new the new hire with marketing. So how what do you think the relationship is in your company between the marketing and sales department, especially given 
what your company does. <laughs> so it's so important and it's not from this company. It's my experience from 20 plus years in senior sales positions that they just go together. Like there, you can't have one without the other. And um, my, I can just give an example from my present company. Our marketing in general was done by an outsourced company who weren't, weren't doing a very good job over the last few months. Our inbound leads kind of dried up. There was no outbound cadence, which means there's no pipeline for the salespeople. Um, and without pipeline, we can't grow. And even, you know, when we make the, you know, sales here and there, it doesn't help if there's no pipeline, there's nothing coming down um, the path. So, you know, the VP of marketing is now, you know, he's been here a few weeks. He's now in charge of really creating that pipeline for us. That's what salespeople live off the pipeline. You know, there's a, there's a certain amount of outbound we could do, a certain amount of success percentages that you get from outbound. Um, and that overall in the market over the last year has gone down, both contact rates and actual success from outbound. Um, so we need the inbound. We need, you know, we need, we need sales enablement material. There's so much stuff that marketing does that helps prepare sales for success that without that, it's impossible to do our job. So what's it like doing sales in such a, such a marketing heavy company where, I mean, you know, you said. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Brew is a marketing tool. So you got to have a real marketing mindset. Um, and yes. your sales, uh, what's it like being sales at such a, you know, marketing heavy company? So my experiences have basically set me up for this. So um, if we go back a little, I, I did an MBA where I actually majored in marketing. Um, I was also VP of marketing and sales for two small startups. So, you know, where they don't really split the function um, until later on. So I have had a lot of marketing in my background and my previous company um, was also directed at marketing people. You know, we were selling to marketing people, um, product marketers, you know, different type of marketers. So there, I, I actually come from a head, you know, headspace of a lot of marketing background, understand their world. And now we're selling to VPs of marketing and CMOs. So you have to understand the world, but it is a challenge. And this is a challenge, especially for the junior salespeople, for the people on my team to understand that world, um, what they're thinking of, what they need, what, you know, how we can help them. So, you know, I try to help them, you know, psychologically through to understand who we're selling to and what they're looking for. How do you approach your job or strategy um, or do you approach it differently based on region? So that's, that's a good question. Um, it, it's not, I wouldn't say it's based on region as much as based on personalities. Like for instance, you know, the U S Canada, even the UK, South Africa, Australia, we sell to the, all of them pretty much in the same way. But then when you come to other European countries, or in particular Israelis, it's a whole nother psychology. It's a whole nother way of selling and it's not the same type of phone calls. Um, so we do have to uh, understand who we're talking to, um, what their headset is, you know, how much they like small talk. Um, you know, do you need to be polite on this phone call or not? Um, but you know, that's, you know, that, that th those are the biggest differences in selling. And then of course there's the technical items of um, when you're doing outbound calling, especially of who you're even allowed to call and speak to with all the mm -hmm. GDPR rules and, you know, going around the world. So, you know, there's the technical items we have to get through. And then there's the mindset you have to have when you go into a phone call. For sure. 
you, you mentioned that you're you're managing the SDR function right now. It's it's outsourced. I, I imagine you're gonna at some point bring it bring it in house. Um, and you also manage the AEs. Can you weigh into the to the debate on SDRs? Uh, should SDR be a function that belongs under marketing and it's part of marketing's efforts to kind of generate leads and meetings for the sales team, or is it a function that should really belong to sales? as it is for you guys, um, is it something that should belong to sales and it should be considered part of the sales experience and separate from, uh, separate from marketing? Another great question. <laughs> and I'm sort of torn on the answer because now, because the SDR is definitely a lead function. And in fact, I can give you a little insight into uh, conversations we've had in the company where talking about the outsource SDR team and, you know, and then the CEO saying, well, if we're going to do that and it's expensive, it's going to come out of the marketing budget because it's to generate leads, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of doing, you know, more LinkedIn inbound ads, we're going to do outbound SDR and it's going to come from the marketing budget. So there you're sitting under marketing. On the other hand, it's so important that the SDRs and the AEs have a really close relationship and understand each other and understand the product well and the sales tactics and the calls that they're making that there's weekly meetings you know, together with the SDRs and with the AEs to understand each other, that it's really hard not to have it under the sales function. That's a great point. The does, that, does, that, does that answer your question? <laughs> kind of raises more questions, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah uh, I agree. It's right. a very, it's a very hard thing, but I think having it as a separate department, not with sales really makes the relationship difficult. And when I, as the VP, of sales, if I want to see the whole picture and what's going on with the leads and, you know, SDR sometimes, you know, as we all know, will complain, well, the AEs aren't following up right. So that's why things aren't going through. And the AEs will write, well, the meetings aren't, you know, up to snuff. Well, I have to see right. the whole picture and I have to be able to talk to everybody and I have to have them together in a room. So it's a lot of, a lot of their time is spent with me. So having it not under sales is also difficult. How do you get SDRs and AEs to work together and collaborate? So, you know, again, one of the most important things is weekly meetings, meaning the SDRs are part of the team. They're part of the sales team. They know they're part of the sales team. They know they're just as important, maybe more important than the sales than the salespeople. And in fact, I like to emphasize that a lot in our meetings that the salespeople, you know, are great at closing, but what are you going to close if there's nothing there? Um, you know, so the SDR function, I feel in general, by the way, is the hardest function in a company um, of everything. I think the SDR function is the hardest, making 100 calls a night and speaking to maybe one person who hangs up on your in your face um, is a tremendously hard function, tremendously hard to keep um, your emotions going. So I like to, you know, really highlight that, you know, with the sales team and, of course, share the SDR successes as much as possible with not just the sales team, but with the wider audience of the company um, so that they see that. I know a lot of companies, for some reason, they don't share the SDR successes like they share the sales team successes. Customer wins go out, but, you know, SDR successes don't. Um, and I feel that's really uh, missed out. And, you know, so we make a very strong relationship from the start. And going back to your last question, that's why in my company, SDR is under sales you know, and not under marketing. Yeah. That's a really good point about, you know, getting the whole team, uh, you know, not just the sales team, but the whole company excited about, uh, about incremental wins on the way to making a new sale and not just, not just focusing on the end goal, 
of you know more revenue but on all the kind of gears that are turning uh to get that revenue win in in into place um and i guess uh you know that 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 leads up to another interesting question like what what are you more focused on uh when you're building your team are you focused on the results or are you focused on the incremental process of getting there what's the what's the so, more important goal to like to stress so again i'm going to answer your question two ways um personally process the long term is much more important but and I'll, it's a big but with a capital B. In a startup environment, um, in a high-tech company, it, you know, it's just as important to show wins along the way. You know, you're dealing with investors, you're dealing with a board, you're dealing with, are we going to go to Series A? How are we going to go to Series A? Well, if we're going to go to Series A, we need to have 40% growth. It doesn't matter what you're doing for long-term if you're not showing the sustainability right now of the product and if you're not showing a certain amount of growth. So while I feel that's less important than the processes we're building for the long term, for year two, three down the line, it, it, in their minds, it's just as important, if not more important. So I have to keep that in mind while we're you know, moving along the short term goals and the long term goals. What's your biggest challenge with setting sales goals? That's my biggest challenge, I would say right now, <laughs> is that um, I wanted to set sales goals in a way where we're building pipeline, we're building processes, and you know, six months from now and a year from now, we're going to be in a really good place. Mm-hmm. But I get a lot of pushback on the short-term goals. Well, you need to bring in ten sales this month or this quarter, whatever it is, you know, whatever that item is. Well, how am I supposed to do that while I'm trying to build processes, while I'm hiring new people and training them, while we're onboarding an SDR team, like they're just, while there's no marketing, you know, while I just hired a new marketing person and there's no pipeline, you know, but it doesn't matter because you need to show it. You need to get those wins in somehow while you're doing that. Do you set that those goals then as a team and distribute it? Or is there any way that teamwork comes into, you know, sharing the weight of, in a good way of those goals? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we set it on, a, you know, on a, senior management level, meaning per quarter, you know, what we need to get and where we're going. And obviously that's shared with the team. We have a sales kickoff um, every quarter, January 1st, April 1st, you know, every quarter of the first, and it never gets pushed off. There's a very structured uh, uh, system in place. Um, All the goals are shared. All of the last quarter's results are shared. But the lot, the work that goes in behind the scenes to get to that, to get to what are the goals going to be? And can we do this now while we're also doing this and that? That's a lot of work behind the scenes as well. Fantastic. The, the four sales reps, the AEs that are, that are working for you right now, were they already in the company before you joined or you, you brought them on? Two of them were here before I joined and two of them I just brought on. Is it, is it challenging to come in as a VP sales uh, to manage a team that's already at least partially pre-existing and then all of a sudden kind of have to learn from people at the same time that you're managing them? It's always challenging. People are lying if they say they come into a pre-existing team and it's not challenging. Um, You have different personalities. You have different people. They don't know you. They haven't worked for you. They feel they know the product better than you, and they do. Um, And they've been selling it longer than you, which is completely true. Um, so what are you bringing them? Like, what's your added value, right? And you have to show it and you have to show it pretty quickly because you need to win them over and you need to show them that, you know, this is, you know, that maybe we did things like this till now, but, and maybe we're even successful to a certain point, 
but we're trying to move the company forward. And in order to do that, we need to build sustainability. We need to build practices. We need to build policies. And maybe I can help you be better. It's all about, can you show them that you can bring them added value? At the end of the day, for salespeople, that means, can you bring them more money? Um, if you can sense. show them that, <laughs> if you can show them that, you're fine. But it's a challenge yeah. to get there. What what's the sales uh, structure at your company at at Brew? Are the sales reps very like lone wolf? Uh, you know, they they just kind of manage the whole process and then show up one day with a customer win, or is there a lot of collaboration that has to happen across teams? Um, there is collaboration that has to happen. So our our uh, sales process really has like two demo points along the way where you have a short demo with the client and then you have a longer demo with them when you're further down negotiation. In order to do that, you need product um, on your side. You need to build certain environments to show mm -hmm. them, you know, their environment uh, on the product. Um, so there's definitely collaboration, both the product with, that, with data ops. Um, and, you know, there's definitely a, a team effort um, salespeople being salespeople like to hold everything close to their wrist. They, and, it, and in our company, it's basically the whole process. You know, you're doing it from A to Z. I mean, the SDR team will now help with that a little bit, but you're really as a salesperson taking it from first call through signing. Um, so, you know, they, they like, but there is definitely uh, a lot of collaboration. And even after the sale, there's still collaboration with CS in terms of handing over the client, making sure, you know, everything's uh, being fulfilled that the salesperson promised, which sometimes we all know salespeople's promises and what we can really deliver don't actually align. Where, where is it difficult to collaborate and how do you address that? Like, what's your number one challenge? My number one challenge in currently is more of a manpower challenge and priority. So we have current clients, we have pipeline, we have demos, all of that needs to be go through product, through dead ops, through, you know, and there just isn't enough time or manpower to do all of that. So we have to sort of prioritize their work. Um, that becomes a challenge because we're trying to prioritize what they're doing while they have their own daily schedules that they're, they're supposed to do. Um, we're also a lot of times switching things at the last moment, which is really annoying. And I understand that for, you know, for other people in the company. Um, so there's processes that, you know, I've been putting in place and are st I'm still putting in place, which weren't there before, but to stop that, you know, certain deadlines, SLAs, you can't ask for a change if it's this amount of time before, you know, the demo or whatever it is to try to make that easier. But there's always going to be um, that friction with, with uh, you know, with those departments. And after sale, there's always the friction with CS, although we consider ourselves one team, but, you know, again, you know, promising what and delivery is uh, can always cause friction as well. Um, so we try to make sure, um, you know, that that's as smooth as possible. Um, and we're not over promising and under delivering, but, you know, sometimes that causes friction. Yeah, I've seen some of that. Let's take things all the way back to the beginning. How did you, how did you first get started in sales? What was your first <laughs> sales job? It's a, it's funny because I never store myself in sales. I, as I said, I did an MBA in, uh, you know, business administration. I uh, majored in marketing. I also majored in finance. Um, never saw myself in sales. Um, didn't work in sales for the first five to 10 years of my career. Was more on the marketing business development sides. 
I even had a job as a CFO for a year, like on the financial sides, um, and never saw myself in sales. And what happened was, as I said, I worked for two startup companies that, that had positions open for vice president of marketing and sales. So mm-hmm. I applied for those positions for both companies. I got those positions and it was sort of forced upon me. Well, if you're going to be the VP of marketing, you're going to be the VP of sales as well. Um, and that was 15, 17, 18 years ago, you know, I don't know exactly. That's what really got me into sales. I never did a sales job before I was a VP of sales. Um, (laughs) yeah. So it's quite the unconventional way to, uh, to get there. Well, Um, but it's pretty natural if you went from marketing into sales and, you know, here at Brew, you know, you're, you're a VP sales in a marketing company and, you know, right. your, your previous position at PeerSpot, it was also a very, you know, marketing product. Exactly. Um, so I guess it, for, for those kind of companies, it could be a pretty natural path. Yeah. It, yeah. It's funny because uh, I know that Brew, my current company, they interviewed for my position for about four months. They told me they didn't meet anyone else who had sales experience to VPs of marketing, to mm-hmm. CMOs, to, you know, in the marketing space. So I guess it's not so common, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and that was one of the reasons we had a good fit. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, you know, I sort of rolled into sales, not consciously, um, and then found that those, you know, those positions, you know, were just more abundant, were more mm-hmm. easier to get into, um, you know, um, VP of marketing, I would, I would say, the VP of marketing, so many, the technology changes and stuff, everything changes so quickly, but I, I, I can't even name, you know, and I don't think I can name any of the tools the VPs of marketing are using today. Well, mm-hmm. sales hasn't changed that much. You know, the way of you know, doing it is a little different. You have better tools, but the methodologies are the same. The, you know, the, the way you sell is the same. Managing a sales team is basically the same. Uh, I think uh, marketing is a, uh, more of a young person's game. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really interesting because I, I kind of I've always kind of conceived that the opposite. I see sales that's as funny. like a young person's game, um, and marketing is like the more you know mature I, end of the spectrum. I agree the... in terms of salespeople, like the actual sales executives ah, usually. Okay. Interesting. But in terms of managing marketing, <clears throat> uh, mm-hmm. there's so many different tools and different technologies that are always coming out that you always have to be on top of that. Yeah. I feel like I just wouldn't be able to uh, <laughs> keep up. So you're, you're hiring for a growing sales team right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's that process like? What, what's, what's it like hiring for sales? What do you look for and what are um, the challenges? Good, good question. I find, and I've always found this, that when I interview people for sales, it's less about, first of all, it's definitely less about, you know, their education, mm-hmm. more about their experience. Um, but even in experience, um, it doesn't usually tell a story. For me, when I interview people, and I just went through this process to hire two people, and I probably interviewed over 50, um, I need to talk to the person. I need to see how they are in a conversation. I need to see, um, you know, what, how they react to certain questions, how they, you know, certain objections, I actually usually ask them to do a pitch to me on Mm -hmm. the phone. The first call, um, I ask them, tell me a certain position that you really, really like, you know, a phone, a computer, a car, whatever that may be, and sell it to me. Um, And that's how, 
instead of all those homework assignments and you know powerpoints that people want people to do now and eight interviews that's it if that's your conversation that's your uh time it's totally cold you didn't know it was coming mm -hmm. um sell it to me and that's how i choose my candidates is that because you want someone who can think on their feet and be spontaneous absolutely or? absolutely one of the most under valued, um, I think one of the most undervalued values for a salesperson is somebody who's quick on their feet and can think quickly and not just somebody who knows the script that knows the product. You need to be able, um, unless maybe you're in a very, very SaaS environment where you're selling the same thing a hundred times a day and there's no variations, you need to be able to think quickly. You need to be able to move from conversation to understand what the person's thinking, uh, get back to them. And that comes through on a conversation you know there's people who just can't do it and are hesitating and they don't ask the right questions and there's people that it's just very natural for so would you rather hire a salesperson who is quick on their feet or very well prepared quick on their feet really that's yep. interesting Okay. I think everyone can learn a product everyone can be prepared and I'm not saying you don't need to be prepared don't get me right. wrong you do need to be prepared, but I'd rather hire somebody who's quick on their feet and then get them to the point where they're prepared for their phone calls than the opposite. I can't teach it's somebody e how to be quick uh, on their feet. That's a good, that's being like quick that. on your feet is, is a, is a natural, is just part of somebody's personality. Being prepared is something that can be taught. Exactly. If you're responsibly that's, unprepared. I, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I also no, think listen, when it comes to the ethics of hiring, you know, at the end of the day, I've dealt with a lot of people who are quick on their feet and didn't prepare enough and they don't last. Listen, if you don't bring results at the end, it's sales, right? Right. You could be loved right. by everyone. You could be the best employee. Everybody loves you. If you're not bringing numbers at the end of the day, you're not going to last. Um, so but, if uh, anyone is listening to this and getting ready for an interview with Jeremy, uh, exactly. anyone to work Come yeah, as but again, unprepared, you see, it, come it as unprepared as possible. It doesn't Do help not you because you, even right. if they know what I'm going to ask you, it doesn't help because you're going to tell me a certain position and I'm going to say, sell it to me. And I'm going to ask you a question you're not expecting. Right. And then you're going to have to figure out what the answer is or yeah. how to answer me. You know, you don't have to have the right answer. You just have to be able to answer me and continue the conversation in a way that's going to want to make me buy the product. That's a great point. In hiring salespeople. You know, we, we've seen a lot of really successful salespeople coming from totally different industries that are like just totally not sales. Um, you know, I remember at, at PureSpot, and we, we spoke to in an earlier episode of this uh, podcast, we spoke to Jeff Yeager about uh, how he's been very successful hiring uh, uh, tour guides. Um, and he's always looking for teachers, I think. And he, he's like, identified lawyers. a few lawyers, <laughs> you hired a lawyer. Um, what, what, uh, what professions stand out to you as like someone who could maybe, if you were good at that, you'd be really good at sales. Um, really anything customer facing where you have to have conversations where you have to have negotiations with people. But again, those are still people that are more in the sales realm. They might not have done mm -hmm. B2B sales. They might not have done phone sales. Um, I interviewed somebody recently who had done demos in a booth. He was in an exhibitions. He would do demos. That was his job, just to do demos. Mm -hmm. He wasn't selling anything. He was just showing, you know, the stuff on a, on a booth. Kind of uh, a marketing marketing function. Yeah, a marketing yeah. function. And, you know, but he was really good at talking to people and really good at getting their attention and really good at, you know, engaging with them. That's so important when mm -hmm. you're 
in sales. Um, so anyone where, you know, where you're engaging with people and you've had conversations and you've done with negotiations of one, one type or another could be good um, at sales. Um, it, it is important in sales to have some type of experience. Like, you know, you don't usually come out of the blue and just go into a senior sales job and start selling to CMOs and VP of marketing. You know, you need to have some, you know, some type of, you know, conversations, experience with those types. I, I can't imagine somebody off the street coming in and speaking to the CMO of Dell and having a good conversation with them. Uh, you know, so you do have to have, I think, some type. But that's why a lot of people in sales start in SDR and they get some type of skills. You know, um, we're talking to people and calling and having conversations before they move into sales. And you less see salespeople that just show out show up out of the blue um, and are successful, but uh, it, it could be done. It's just a matter of, you know, you need some type of training to really get into these phone calls. You mentioned, uh, you know, how important the SDR function is. Um, and do you think that account execs in a perfect world should not be doing much prospecting or, you know, or sh should all the prospecting be done by the SDRs and then account execs just do demo after demo? Or is there a certain amount of prospecting that you'll always expect uh, an account exec to do? In a perfect world, I would have the account execs doing demos. There is no perfect world, though. Be I, you know, I would love it if they always could just do demos, but I've never been in a company where that has actually worked. Um, and there's actually been enough volume. I mean, mm -hmm. imagine, you know, an account exec has, you know, eight, nine hour days. How many demos do they need to do to fill up their day, you know? Um, so I've never been in that world. Um, but I find that the SDR function and the sales function are two different functions with two different skills. They, you know, you can use those skills, in, um, for both jobs, but it's really, as I said, SDR is a skilled function. Like it's something that you really need to learn and you really need to be good at. And both the research to, you know, on who you're calling and what you're calling and how to have that five minute conversation. And sales is a completely different function. People move from SDR to sales because they get good at what they're doing. They get good at calling, they get good at that. And they want to try, you know, the next step, the next, you know, natural step is to move into an AE position, but it's definitely different skills. And I find that most AEs, um, and especially ones who haven't had SDR in their past are terrible at doing SDR. Um, they just aren't good. Um, and the output from them isn't, isn't good. So why would you want them to be doing a job where there's some really skilled people? You know, if I can have an SDR who's going to make 100 calls a day and make me, you know, whatever it is, five, you know, five meetings a week, I wouldn't expect near that output from an, from an AE. But wouldn't you... Aren't you concerned? You know, you, you you mentioned that it's kind of natural for an SDR to to become an account exec, and they're often very successful ones. But if you have that kind of culture in your in your company where SDR is the junior role and you get promoted up into account exec, aren't you worried about the lack of uh, kind of experience that'll get built up in the SDR function in the company? I I feel like the SDR role, while it's so important, and as I said, maybe the most important role in the company, mm -hmm. um, that's just, that just is, it is a very inexperienced role. People who, it's very, very hard to find 
professional SDRs, people who just want to do SDR. They're usually doing it as a jumping board to become an account executive, to go into sales. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people who are applying for SDRs are without experience. They're people coming straight from, you know, universities, college or from another job completely. And they're trying to break into the high tech world and everyone's telling them, well, the best way to break in is to go, you know, start as an SDR function. There's actually like, you know, two, three month training courses, you know, given by different organizations just to learn the SDR skills so that you can break into Mm -hmm. high tech. And yet you're always dealing with an experienced sales team and always an inexperienced SDR team and always promoting the best ones to um, to sales and then getting more inexperienced people. But that's why it's such a important function and a hard function and needs to be managed correctly is because it usually is the least experienced function in the company. Um, I don't see a big way, uh, a real way of changing that besides, again, using like one of these outsource SDR companies where that's just what they do. That's their job. That's the people they hire. They go from company to company to company. So they're not always working on the same thing. They could be working on five, six different companies, you know, at the same time. Um, but I imagine even in those companies, you know, there's a ton of turnover, you know, for people, mm-hmm. you know, for their actual SDR agents. Uh, I don't know of anyone who said, I, I, my profession, I want to be an SDR. They said they when want to go into sales. Exactly. When it comes to outsourcing SDRs, uh, there are many great things about the whole SDR team. Um, one of them is oftentimes getting feedback and fee- and and providing that for the the company, for marketing, for sales, for everyone, for product. Um, how do you co- coordinate that when it's outsourced? Right. So a great question. And one of the conversations I've, I've had this week with the companies I've been interviewing is, I only want a company who's going to work in our CRM. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's different companies that do it different ways. Some of them have their own CRM and you have, you know, there's, there's just nothing visible to you as a, as a, as a sales manager, except reports that they send or, you know, a meeting that somebody puts on your calendar. There's other companies who will actually work inside your CRM. So you give them seats in your CRM, they work off your CRM, all their notes, all of their calls are visible. Um, mm-hmm. You have weekly meetings, um, not just with the manager, right? Which a lot of companies do. Yeah, I can have a weekly meeting with the sales manager, the SDR manager. It's not enough. I want the SDR people to be in that weekly meeting. I want them to be in the weekly meeting with the AEs. Again, as I explained, the same way I want them when they're in-house to have that relationship. It's not going to be as close, obviously, but still there needs to be that relationship and that teamwork even with an outsource company. And that's one of the things I'm looking for, you know, when I'm, when I'm trying to hire an outsource company. Makes sense. Right. I want to jump. Um, I, I, just because this is customer cafe and the name of your company is brew. That's right. A lot of good synergies there. Yes. Yeah, why, why are you called brew? Tell us about your affinity or your company's affinity for caffeine or coffee or what have you. <laughs> the funny part is there's nothing to do with uh, coffee or with beer, which a lot of people say as well. Mm. Um, that makes sense. Although when you do come into the company, you have to tell them what's your favorite way of taking coffee. And that becomes part of your uh, you know, bio that they send out to everyone. So what's yours? Brew. Brew is a brew of marketing materials, right? Mm-hmm. So a brew of PR, webinars, blogs, events, um, anything organic. You take that brew and you're like, what should I be doing with this? Like, where should I be spending my time? How should I be allocating my resources? 
specific topics, specific audiences. Am I doing the right thing now? Should I have another webinar now? If I am going to have a webinar and spend the time and effort on it, is it on the right topic? Am I collaborating mm -hmm. with the right people? Um, that's the brew. That's the brew that we're talking about. I love that. Well, love what's that. your what's your what's your bio? What's your you know, what's your brew, Jeremy? If you're my coming here for coffee, my brew we... is uh, is large iced coffees. <laughs> large iced coffees. Oh my god, I, we could be such good I, friends. Exactly, large <laughs> iced coffees with some lactose-free milk, because you know lactose. <laughs> yeah. uh, a couple sweeteners, but that's really my go-to. Even I, in the winter, but I know, but I know Jeremy, and I know his caffeination uh, method of choice is actually Coke Zero. Absolutely, Jeremy that's not, and I. That's not even yeah. close. <laughs> Jeremy and I used to fight over the Coke Zero at at Pure Spot, where you know it would come in on uh, you know supermarket day when uh, you know the groceries came in, and we would just steal it right from the kitchen. We yeah, found absolutely. we found once Jeremy was was in uh, he was in America on a trip, and we ran out of Coke Zero, and then we found his stash in his room of bottles of Coke Zero that had been there for so long that they were expired and oh, flat. Oh, it was gross. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jeremy, we, we like to to close uh, these podcast episodes with um, a question that, that it's becoming our favorite question actually uh, in every episode of, you know, who do you, um, who do you follow on LinkedIn or a podcast that you listen to or books that you've read that you think have, have contributed to you know your success so far and, and can help somebody else become a really good salesperson so there's there's actually three podcasts that i listen to pretty religiously um one's the sales hacker podcast that's probably the most famous uh mm -hmm. sales podcast out there um b2b growth show which is also a very famous podcast um, both of them give you a lot of tips about b2b uh, marketing sales, lead generation, different tactics. So they're very tactic-based um, strategies. And there's, there's one that I really enjoy called The Art of Charm. Um, the, the Art of Charm is more about soft skills. And that's me in general. I'm I think it's very underrated soft skills um, mm -hmm. in a sales uh, position, both as a manager, but also as a salesperson. Um, I think that the psychology behind who you're talking to, how to talk to them, you know, how to answer questions, objections, when to ask for a close, all of that, all the soft skills are very lacking yeah. in many salespeople. And I think it's so important um, as part of the sales process. Um, I know salespeople are very resistant to get <laughs> to, to hearing new uh, method, but I find it, I find it fascinating and I find it really important and something that I've incorporated in my sales experience. That's great. Great advice. Thank you. And uh, that's it. Jeremy. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed no talking it was, to you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard? Let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon! <laughs>